Hello, and welcome to Small Black Birds. I'm AJ, and in this episode, you will hear about an artist who built a successful career unlike any other by rejecting the rules of the traditional art world and using pen and paper and her wit to tell powerful stories in ways that only she can. Molly Crabapple, by far the most appropriate pseudonym around, is a New York City-based artist and writer who plunges herself into uncompromising situations, sketchbook in hand, always ready to capture whatever she encounters. Her unique style of art, especially her works from Guantanamo and Occupy, which I encourage you to find and view online before listening to this episode, combines illustration and journalism in ways that challenge the idea that art is something you see rather than something you feel. And her unrelenting opposition to outdated rules and systems that exploit people and treat art as commodity make her one of the most important voices to listen to right now. There's always this really boring model for artists, which is that you just stay in your studio and you create increasingly exquisite objects for rich people until you die. And then someone makes a lot of money off of them. And this model for artists is so limiting. I wanted artists that were engaged in the world. I I didn't want us just to be these sort of mute savants. I wanted us to be, you know, an intrinsic part of everything. And when you have this time when like people people are marching, people are protesting, your friends are getting arrested, and you just want to chronicle it and you want to chronicle it fast. Like it feels so urgent. In his book, Player Piano, Kurt Vonnegut, one of my favorite authors, writes, I want to stay as close to the edge as I can without going over. Out on the edge, you can see all kinds of things you can't see from the center. Big, undreamed of things. The people on the edge see them first. Molly Crabapple is a person who sees things first. And better still, through her evocative and uncompromising art, she takes us along with her while braving the conditions out there on the edge, so that we can see them too whether we want to or not. A prolific artist, activist, and writer whose art has been exhibited in world-class galleries and can be seen at a street protest near you, she's traveled to contested and dangerous places to document some of the most pivotal moments and movements of the last decade. Her resume is totally of her own making, having drawn detainees at Guantanamo Prison, reported on the destruction of Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico, and famously confronted Donald Trump about the overworked and underpaid construction workers building his gaudy golf course in Dubai. I think I've always been drawn to places that people see as extreme, that uh, people see as dangerous, perhaps in some way, uh, edge places. I think that those are the places that life is most vivid and interesting. She got her start as a journalist in 2011, sketching the front lines of Occupy Wall Street, which started just a few blocks away from her cramped New York City apartment. She had never drawn protest art before, having spent her formative years capturing the secret world of New York's fabled nightlife like a contemporary Toulouse-Lautrec, but was drawn to the determination of Occupy protesters camping in a small park near Wall Street to protest against the harms of capitalism and the many people it left behind. Before Occupy Wall Street, and a lot of my work was about sex and nightlife, beautiful women, I felt like if I included politics in my artwork, it would be sort of this preachy lie. And so I would do it kind of, I would hide the critique beneath the ruffles, I guess. 
And then when Occupy happened, I felt, no, man, no, I'm being cowardly if I'm not, if I'm not explicit. Like, this is a time to take sides, and I wanted to take sides. Molly's apartment became a central hub of activity, overflowing with art supplies and energy, and outrageous drawings of fat cat bankers that became synonymous with the movement. The artwork she drew in her apartment for Occupy would be copied, printed, and within hours, plastered on walls across the city. One of her most famous works from the period, a May Day poster calling for a general strike and featuring a woman lighting a match, was acquired by the Museum of Modern Art for its permanent collection. My first drawings at Occupy were just of protesters. I drew uh, construction guys holding signs, old ladies. Uh, my, my favorite, uh, sort of my most famous poster from Occupy was of a woman with her hair in a bandana and she's like striking a match. And it was a double play on the word strike. It also had the black cats that stand for wildcat strikes. This poster was everywhere. I mean, for years I would see it on the streets. I mean, this, this, was, this, this was so... It was just so real. It was like art, real, engaged in life, real there, not like stuck off in this stupid white world gallery, not, you know, isolated, but art, like right in the streets. I loved it. Yeah, Occupy changed my life. Occupy changed my life. For Molly, there was no going back after Occupy. She traveled to Spain, Lebanon, and other places to meet with more activists, workers, and refugees. It was in these places where she began sharpening her dual talents of drawing and writing to produce cutting-edge journalism unlike anything else out there. After uh, Occupy was crushed, I wanted to cover other movements that I saw as related to it. So I went to Spain first. And then after that, I just kept having more chances to write about people, uh, people resisting. And in all sorts of ways, that person might not be a protester in a square. One person who I, I will always admire was a young uh, South, a- South Asian man who worked in the construction industry in Abu Dhabi and who was secretly uh, giving information to all of this media about the brutal labor conditions and the exploitation there, even though no one suspected him because he's a working-class South Asian man. And in Abu Dhabi, those people aren't supposed to think like that. It was during this time that she persuaded Vice News to send her to Guantanamo, from which she brought back harrowing images of life at America's war prison in southeastern Cuba. Fashioned as an island outside the rule of law, where terrorism suspects could be detained and questioned without restraint, the prison, which still has not been shuttered, is among America's greatest shames. Residents at Guantanamo include over 10,000 U.S. servicemen and women, and at its peak capacity, about 700 detainees, many of whom were young men picked up in Iraq and Afghanistan by the military after 9-11 and held without a trial. Security at the prison is intense, with rules forbidding most photography of detainees, guards, and buildings. Few journalists have visited the prison, and all writing, photography, and drawings are subject to military review before they can be released to the public. Guantanamo is such a difficult place to be a photographer because they have these operational security guidelines that make it like you're playing Twister. You can shoot the scene, but you can't get anyone's heads, and you can't get more than one door, and you can't get any cameras, and you can't get a certain number of building structures. There is stuff that like, that photographers just they couldn't get. For instance, um, photographers aren't allowed in the courtroom. There are no images of the Guantanamo War Court in photo photography whatsoever. Me and a few other artists who have been there were providing really the only visuals of a lot of Guantanamo Bay at all. Working within the prison's maze of rules, Molly found creative ways to document the people and places at Guantanamo. 
One of the most lasting images she produced is of detainees standing in a courtroom, but instead of drawing their faces, which is not permitted, she replaced them with blank masks that had a neutral expression. At first glance, the blank masks almost look like smiley faces. That's how they think in Guantanamo. They use this very outsized, ridiculous uh, safety rhetoric to completely censor all images and much of the words coming out of there, but especially the images. And my privilege as an artist, what I could do was I could draw around that censorship. For instance, a photographer, they would have to not take a photo that had anyone's heads in it. Whereas as an artist, I would just give those heads blank masks and I can show not just uh, the scene, but the censorship itself. These days, about 40 detainees remain at Guantanamo, some of whom still have never had a trial. But over the years, dozens of detainees were tortured or subjected to humiliating and degrading treatment by prison guards. It was not uncommon for detainees on hunger strikes to be shackled to a chair and force-fed through tubes in their nose. Not surprisingly, military leaders criticized Molly for publishing her Guantanamo drawings, calling them unpatriotic. But former guards who worked at the prison praised her for showing the world a glimpse of what really happened there. Well, I drew uh, this trial uh, in an atmosphere that was so censored that my notebook literally has stickers on it saying that everything is approved by the military. And I also, I drew the prison, including uh, for seven minutes, the prisoners. I actually had to scribble out where their heads were uh, because the army said that otherwise I might draw them from memory. I also, uh, I drew the soldiers, I drew the medics, I drew the chair that they force-fed people in. I drew the TV room, which is really just a recliner with the prisoner's legs shackled to the floor. I tried my best to uh, chronicle one of the most uh, horrendous injustices our country has done. Believe it or not, there are places even more restricted than a prison. One of those places is Syria, which has been ravaged by a decade-long civil war and has killed nearly half a million people and driven countless more from their homes in search of safety. Starting in 2014, Molly collaborated with a young Syrian living in Raqqa, an ancient city almost entirely destroyed by foreign-made bombs, to produce an illustrated book describing a country and a life interrupted by conflict. The book is a tightly told narrative focusing on the complexities of friendship during war brought to life by Molly's haunting illustrations. I mean, one of the collaborations I'm most proud of, um, which I'm doing a book with now, is a collaboration with a young Syrian journalist, Marwan Hisham. And uh, Marwan, at the time, was in Raqqa, which is his hometown that ISIS invaded. And he sent me cell phone photos of life, you know, daily life in Raqqa. In a lot of ways, my collaboration with Marwan was about showing things that you can't see otherwise. Um, there are no photojournalists allowed inside Raqqa. Anyone doing journalism there is doing an intense risk to their life. I remember when he first um, sent them to me, it was like looking through another person's eyes, you know? They were like this window. It was like something that I wasn't supposed to see. And... Molly continues to find exciting new ways to tell stories. She recently collaborated with Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to create Message for the Future, a seven-and-a-half-minute illustrated video that imagines what might have been had Congress approved the Green New Deal, a revolutionary plan championed by the Congresswoman to combat the widespread harms caused by climate change. Despite spending more time at home during the pandemic, her commitment to engage her audience with issues of injustice persists. 
Recent works highlight a warehouse worker who challenged the brutal conditions at Amazon and the police's violent response to protests for racial justice. And through her many new ventures, she encourages other creative people to push the boundaries of traditional art and storytelling and embrace their own vision wherever it leads. I think that we're living in an incredibly exciting time for journalism in general. You have deep dives of Raqqa based on cell phone photos and and interviews with refugees. You have people doing the most impersonal, data-driven stuff based on crowdsourced images from the internet. We live in a time of everything. We live in a time of multiplicity. It's the fact that journalism is now looks like everything. There's no one way it looks. Until it is safe to return to galleries and museums, much of Molly's work can be found online and on the cover of popular magazines and books. On her website, you can learn more about her background and advice for young artists trying to find their own voice in a turbulent time. for listening to Small Black Birds. Interested in protecting your right to protest? Go to the Defending Rights and Dissent website at www.rightsanddissent.org. Have questions or comments for me? Please send them to smallblackbirdspodcast at gmail.com. Stay safe and talk with you soon. And was closing the door Had one of those flashes I've been there before Been there before